10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits. Culver is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Really, really excited about our special guest that's going to be joining us here in the next few minutes. One of the all-time greats in A-State football history, a guy who hasn't been to Jonesboro in a decade, was able to spend the weekend here in Jonesboro and really excited about a conversation coming up with Bill Berge. That's right. Always cool to... uh to get to talk to the greats and, and in this case i mean honestly it's going to be the most common answer for the best player in the history of the program when i was doing my uh, uh, radio show and we were going into that 100th season yeah we did a, a bracket voting type thing and I, I if i remember correctly i think the final came down to bill Berge and ryan applin but i'm pretty sure Bill Berge got the dub jerry muckensturm was up there as well yes. but uh yeah bill Berge certainly has a case for being the best player in the history of Arkansas State football, and he'll join us here in the next few minutes. Meanwhile, we have an A-State football game to recap, a very rainy game to recap. We saw the forecast all week long. We kept our fingers crossed. We kept hoping, praying that maybe it would change, but it just never did. Three o'clock kickoff, I think the rain hit right around 2.30, and it just never stopped yeah i mean and honestly so you watch the forecast it, it kind of kept getting worse i mean early last monday really wasn't much happening from a forecast standpoint because i remember being in our football ops meeting and and even the the it was university police chief you know uh randy martin proud graduate of the green county tech said hey weather-wise we're looking good i think and so I kind of grabbed it and looked. Famous and, last words. And it, but it, already by then, it had sort of changed, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And then Saturday, you know, you get to Saturday, and and it kind of kept moving backwards, right? When it was yeah. going to start, kind of kept nudging back, and tailgating was dry. Red Wolf Walk was dry. But, I mean, by that point, like, the damage is done, right? I mean, and obviously, it still poured anyway. But from a, a marketing standpoint, the forecast kills you it, sure. it, whether it ends up raining a drop or not the forecast kills you and so a steady stream of, of people seeing that all week it definitely was going to impact things you and i were talking just before we started recording just now uh, about probably the best thing to come about you know once the game got going is the fact that it continued because maybe 15 minutes before kickoff I know the announcement was made over the public address system, and we talked about it on the air as well, that, hey, there's lightning within 30 miles, and then I think right at kickoff, got a text that the lightning is 15 miles out. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to get about five minutes into the game, and there's going to be lightning within eight miles, and you know what that means. It's 30 minutes from the last lightning strike. Yep. So... We're thinking maybe a lengthy delay here. Well, a few minutes later, we get another text saying the lightning radar is all clear. So that was probably the best thing that happened on Saturday. Unfortunately, the game did not go very well. Now, there was also this point in between the rains, right, where the sun poked out. 
And I'm telling you, you would have to Photoshop fans into it because if it wasn't for the fact that the weather sucked so bad and there were so few people there, it's the best picture you'd ever get in the history of ever where this bright, beautiful double rainbow was just completely over Centennial Bank Stadium. From my vantage point, you could see both ends. You started it from where I'm sitting. It started right at the indoor facility and came right to the, the far corner of the bleachers in the upper deck. I think the biggest shock of the day was that the sun did come out <laughs> for maybe 20 minutes and it was shining brightly on the visiting side bleachers. And you're right. You saw the double rainbow just beyond those bleachers, but it clouded up soon after that and the rain continued and South Alabama ended up winning the game by the final score of 31 to 3 and hey credit South Al that's a really good team they're bowl eligible for the first time since 2016 you know as far as Arkansas State goes it's the same stuff we've been talking about this is a really beat up football team right now no they didn't execute the way they wanted to on the field it was good to have James Blackman back after missing the game the week before in Lafayette Jeff Foreman had a good day he had six catches for 98 yards but it was hard protecting James Blackman the other day and this has been a really beat up offensive line that got even more beat up on Saturday Jordan Rhodes had to miss the ball game that means we had to make some moves McKeelan Thomas who started every game to this point at left tackle and has been playing banged up moved over to right guard and we had a true freshman and Alaric Watson who hadn't played all season long they really like Alaric for the future but this was his first ever game action and he started at left tackle the other day on top of that Brian Sneed was out again at running back and this was a day where the offense just never got going it's tough because if you want to be honest about it, this is not throwing the guys that are playing on the offensive line under the bus. It's just, for the most part, it's either not the time they were anticipating these guys playing or not the position they anticipated these guys playing in or not the physical condition they expected these guys to be in when they played. This was a team that was very confident about its starting line, one through five, which is, by the way, probably an upgrade from where it was a year ago. And you saw the way this team played. For the brief flashes it had, its offensive line out there, one through five, right up to the fourth quarter of the Memphis game. And then you have to start kind of doing a shell game and patching this and that or playing a guy before you really think they're ready. And all of a sudden, this is what you get. It's not that they don't have guys that think they play because if they didn't think they play, they wouldn't be on the roster. It's just they're being asked to play in a lot of cases before you were wanting to call on them. And at the end of the day, raining, snowing, sunny, doesn't matter. This is a line of scrimmage game. Defensively, there were some good things we saw the other day from the A-State defense. It was just the big plays that got them. First play from scrimmage, a 69-yard carry. And then they had a 49-yard touchdown pass later in that first half. And that made up for a good chunk of the yardage that South Alabama had in that first half. I thought one of the great stories the other day for the Red Wolves was... Karan Coleman, or K.J. Coleman, as they call him. And here's a guy that hasn't played on defense all season long. He's a safety. And because the Red Wolves are so beat up at the corner spot, Sammy Johnson and Leon Jones were both out. James Reed, the true freshman, unable to play. They had to start K.J. Coleman at corner, and he actually had a really nice game. He had a couple of pass breakups the other day. 
it's one of those deals where like our PA guy started calling this name out a couple times. And at one point, like I'm trying to reach for a flip card saying, now wait, <laughs> are we saying this are right? Are we saying the right guy? Yeah, and sure enough, he get said enough times. Well, he said so many times it can't be wrong now because he, he kept calling the guy's name out. I thought the MVPs the other day, the sound of the natural state band. Yep. My goodness. I mean, those guys never stopped. They were fantastic. And I think halftime is when the rain was probably coming down the hardest. And they had this Halloween-themed show that they put together, and they're out there killing it in the middle of a rainstorm yeah. at halftime. They were great. Yeah, the show was really, really good and, and entertaining. Uh, you'll kind of take it where you're going to go here. A lot of people that sort of are, are – on staff with me or that I deal with, you know, Will Chamberlain is uh, not Wilt. Will Chamberlain is, uh, <laughs> he, he's uh, the assistant director for marketing and fan engagement. He's out there in the rain with our student interns yeah. and he's helping, you know, our friend Brandon Baxter out just uh, trudging along out there in the rain. Well, I'll stop you with Baxter too. And I sent him a text last night saying, Man, I couldn't be more proud of you because, you know, he does the open, what, 30 minutes before kick? Is that about when he, uh, he goes on well, the it, video board for the first uh, time? About Yeah, more about 25, as okay. soon as our team leaves the field. All right, so 25 minutes before kick, Brandon Baxter comes on the video board for the first time, and usually a good portion of our crowd is already there. And in this case, the rain had started to come down hard bleachers were certainly far from full it was a very empty looking stadium but he brought the energy like it was a full house yeah and it was fantastic and i thought that uh yeah that's just a mark of a true pro well and too and we talked about that with him when he was on here it's actually just tapping back into that skill set he had when he was in the world of wrestling yeah because when every week when they were doing that tv show and they were in there cutting these promos it wasn't that they were talking to the 200 people in the studio they were talking to the 300,000 watching on the camera so it was that camera that that had yeah. their focus and they were talking to the people on the other side of it so he kind of gets to so he gets to tap back into that when he's doing that intro and matter of fact i mean all it is is i mean there's not a one word about that scripted even in the pa script it just i type it says baxter promo inferences do your thing that's how much guidance he has on that <laughs> well he did a good job the other day the spirit squads you know we can throw them in with, with the band they they did a great job they were out there all day long and then i thought one of the best bits and i even mentioned this on the air because i'm coming back from break i look up on the video board it's pouring down rain and they're recognizing the new miss arkansas state yep. university she's on screen she's not wearing a rain jacket she's got her dress on her sash across her, her tiara on, and she's got the biggest smile in the world waving at the camera. I mean, she was unfazed just being out there in the middle of the field during a rainstorm. Yeah, that's Riley Struby is her name, the new Miss Arkansas State. So she was great. Hal still rode the motorcycle out even in the rain to lead the team out. Here's what's and we like to lift the curtain, right? From a lot of the stuff that goes on in my room in my lab kind of in that booth in there uh, in terms of the the music and the and the, the timing of stuff and everything that happens with the run out and getting everything to sync up at our best game of the year but it's almost like <laughs> if a tree falls in the forest 
<laughs> because, I mean, stuff was going smooth and hitting on time and wop, pop, 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 pop. Like, hey, everybody's just going to take my word for it. <laughs> well, congratulations, buddy. I was there. I thought it went really smooth. Yeah. You know who else was there the other day? Bill Berge. Also got out in the rain. He got out in the rain. And we're going to talk with the A-State football legend when we come back here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. We welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio by... An A-State great. He played for the A-State football team from 1965 to 1968. He's a member of the Ring of Honor, the Hall of Honor, starter on the all-centennial team for Arkansas State football. Welcome in, Bill Berkey. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. And when you go through the media guide, it's easy. And, and Brad and I have been looking at your numbers for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you've stayed at the top of the charts and a lot of the categories over the years. I think the first time that I remember seeing your name when I looked it up was for tackles in a single game. Well, what I did was I fell on the pile an awful lot. <laughs> And I always make sure my name and number was pointed towards the press box because, guys, you get a ton of tackles that way. Is that what it was? That was the way it was. That was the secret. So, in one game against Eastern Michigan, you had 33 tackles in a single game. And I remember when we looked it up. It was my very first year on the broadcast back in 2005. We're playing a game, last game of the season, and we end up winning the conference championship with a win at North Texas. And a great player here by the name of Tyrell Johnson had 25 tackles in that game. And I'm thinking, man, that's got to be a school record. And then we look it up (laughs) in the media guide, and, and Brad's right there with me, and we see that there was a guy that had 33 tackles in a single game. Do you remember that game? I, I do remember that game, and it was just like you get into a zone, and it just happens, and uh, you can't make a mistake. Everything you do is uh, positive. The one thing I can also say is uh, that is not my record. My record is with the Philadelphia Eagles, in which I had 34 tackles in one game. We got beat that game. We were playing the St. Louis Cardinals, and Dick Vermeil, my head coach, summoned me to his office. And I'm kind of shaking my head, and I'm scratching my head, and I'm saying, what the heck does he want to see me about? I I thought I played a pretty good game. (laughs) And uh, he said, sit down, Bill. And I sat down, and he says, Bill, I have never seen a job like that in my life, you playing football. You were absolutely super, and uh, I just want to tell you, I want to be the one to congratulate you. You were outstanding. But you know something? It was just I had the the lateral pursuit. I had quick feet. I don't have them anymore, but uh, back in those days, I could make things happen, and I really enjoyed it. I was telling Jerry Scott that it was really funny that when I played, if I had 
20 tackles in a game, that was just like, okay, nothing special, nothing, no big deal. If I was in the high 20s, that was what I was always shooting for. So in this day and age, like it, it happens, coaches for sure, because even happens to me and I'm sure the rest of these guys too. Guys get on Twitter and they tweet at you with their highlight clip trying to get recruited that way. Now you, as a New York State kid, you had to do the, the mid-60s version of that. You didn't have Twitter to hop on, so you put together your press clippings and had to get yourself recruited. That's right. And uh, we wrote to Arkansas State, wrote to uh, probably a half a dozen schools, and uh, the coaches from Arkansas State were in New York City on a coaches' convention. They had called me and said, we'd like to uh, see you. Unbeknownst to them, I was 425 miles away being in western New York, went to New York City with my dad and my uncle, and uh, I just tried. I had a couple of scrapbooks with me. I tried to sell myself the best I could. They eventually gave me a partial scholarship, and from there, it was all history. But Arkansas State has been so good to me, and I, I just thank them for everything they've done now. Not that it was an easy haul for me because there was, uh, there was no blacks back when I uh, played at Arkansas State. But uh, the Southern boys had to have somebody to beat up on, and it was uh, this Yankee from uh, Western New York. And I got into fights with senior captains, and uh, they tried to run me off. But uh, I had the, the will to stay there, and football – for a couple of years at Arkansas State was real, real tough for me. And then when I went to uh, play football in the pros, I thought pro football was the easiest thing in the world. Uh, I made rookie of the year. I led my team in tackles. I played in the last American Football League All-Star game. It was really pretty darn easy, and I enjoyed Paul Brown and the Cincinnati Bengals, and that's where my career uh, really got going. But Pro football was easy. College football was really tough. You're right. They, they probably would pick on the Yankee kid at that point and mm -hmm. kind of use your term. But how long did it take you to get enough sort of street cred from the way you played football on the field that that stopped happening? When I was a, a junior in college, things really started clicking because I started out there at Arkansas State as a fullback. From there, they said there is no way in hell he can play fullback. From there, I went to an offensive lineman. I couldn't play there. And then finally, my, my junior year, they put me at linebacker. Now I was standing up. I could see everything around me. It was a whole different game. And that's when it really clicked. And then Andy Morris, uh, sports director, he said, Bill Berge, you keep playing football the way you're playing football. And your senior year, you're going to be an All-American. And lo and behold, he got behind me. And I was a first-team uh, All-American. And it worked out real good, but it wasn't until my junior year that guys would leave me alone, and I was pretty much getting into it myself. <laughs> you ended up with 436 career tackles, the 11.8 tackle per game average for your entire career. Yep. It's tops in A-State history, but you played those four years for Coach Benny Ellender. Tell he was us a about, great guy. I, I love him. I love Coach Benny Ellender. I did get into a fight with a senior captain one day. And uh, Benny Ellender loved that captain. His name was Dutch No. He made me run after practice around both fields. And I kept looking over at the, the locker room door. And I said, 
oh, I wish I could run these things all night long because I don't want to talk to Benny Ellender. But I ended up finishing what I had to do. I went up to Benny Ellender, and he had a finger that looked like it was 12 inches long, and he was hitting me in the chest with it. And he said, if you ever pull anything like that again, you'll find yourself back in South Dayton, New York, working in that canning factory. And I cried, and I thought it was horrible, but uh, I love Benny Ellender. He was a good guy, a good Southern gentleman, and his entire coaching staff, Bill Templeton, uh, Bill Davidson, uh, all of those guys, uh, Wayne Armstrong, they were all great guys. There's a Benny Ellender story you've told me before. Someone tried to set it up and let you take it. Okay. But there was a time while you were still playing for Arkansas State that a booster gave you oh, money. Oh, boy, I know it. This is such a great story. First of all, I came from very humbling surroundings back in western New York. I had to have any kind of scholarship to get me going. But uh, I had a a real good game, and uh, there was a booster that gave me $50. Are you kidding me? $50? That's more money than God has, for crying out loud. (laughs) And uh, I said to myself, you got to do the right thing because you're going to get drafted. And I've heard so many people take money like that. If you get caught taking money like that, you're not going to get drafted or something bad's going to happen in the NFL. So anyhow, my conscience was getting the best of me. So I went to Benny Ellender's uh, office this one morning and I said, Coach Ellender, there was this booster that uh, gave me $50 last night for my play, I guess. I'm not really sure. And Benny Ellender said, well, do you have the money? And I said, yeah. And he said, let me have it. And he took it, and he pulled out his drawer, put the $50 in, and shut the drawer. And he said, Bill Berge, I want to tell you, you did the honorable thing. I'm very proud of you. I go out into that parking lot, and I've never beat myself up so bad as I beat myself up. You dumb idiot. You knew that he was going to keep the money. What the heck is your problem? Fast forward, I get drafted in uh, March. And Benny Ellender called me up, and I I know he was going to congratulate me because I was uh, the fifth person picked in the second round, and at that time it was the highest ASU football player to be uh, selected. Benny Ellender said, your years here at uh, Arkansas State were great. I've appreciated everything you've done. And by the way, you are a pro now, aren't you? And I, I go, yeah. And he pulled his drawer out grabbed the $50 and handed it back to me. And I thought that was the greatest life learning experience I've ever had. What a great story. Yeah. So that 68 season was pretty special. You actually ended the year in the Pecan Bowl. That was the that's first right. of... Who, who did we play? Was it North Dakota State? North Dakota State. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And actually, I guess the, the last game of the regular season, you had a one-point win at Texas Arlington to, mm-hmm. I guess, get you to the Pecan Bowl. But when you look back on that season, you mentioned first-team All-American mm-hmm. from the Associated Press that year. You had a school record 196 tackles. That 33-tackle game against Eastern Michigan was uh-huh. in 1968 as well. What was it that kind of took you to another level your senior year? Well... I just think it was maturing and getting into the flow of the game, the way it was played and all that. Really, football never got to the point where it was a job or an occupation or or anything like that. It was a fun, wonderful way of life with me, and that's what I I love so much about it. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed those Saturday nights at Arkansas State. 
So you see, it was sort of some trial and error that got you to the linebacker position. And then obviously you're an all American there and, and a great pro career. So like what, how would you describe your demeanor on the field? Cause we think of linebackers as being kind of mean guys that get to a place in a bad mood. Was that, but you said football was so fun. So kind of, what was your demeanor out there? Well, the best way I can describe it is I didn't have to make 25 tackles. I didn't have to make 30 tackles. The one thing is I, I never wanted to fail. I wanted to do everything. I, I never played a 100% football game. I think I came close a couple of times. I enjoyed it so much that uh, it's so hard for me to really explain this, but uh, it, it, was, it was just a wonderful, wonderful way of life with me. I, I just loved it so much. Is there a moment that stands out when you look back on your A-State career, a game, a, a particular thing that happened on the field? Yes, and it's a negative. <laughs> it is. I'll, I'll never forget this. Uh, it was in a very crucial situation, and it was down around the 20-yard line as the other team is going in. It was uh, fourth down, and they were passing the ball to this one running back coming out of the backfield and I know that I hit him early and uh, this official comes running uh, up to me and he said yep you got him you got him that's a penalty and I, I couldn't believe it because I ended up costing my team the game so that's one all the great things you did that's right buddy. throughout the course of your career 436 tackles that's right. and that's what you remember yeah it is now what folks may or may not know and it's as we're recording this you, you came to town this weekend you were going to make an appearance at a card show you made an appearance at the arkansas state south alabama game over the weekend but you would make at one point fairly regular trips back to northeast arkansas because you you had you do business here your, your accountant was here and you married a northeast arkansas gal most of all i did from goobertown arkansas and do you know where Goobertown is? Do. Oh, yeah. Down yonder in the holler. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, we've been married for 53 years, and she's the love of my life, and I just think it's wonderful. We have three great sons. My three sons love her uh, to death, which makes me love my sons that much more. But uh, I haven't been to Arkansas in, I think, 10 years, so my wife is uh, looking up all of her school classmates and all of her relatives and everything, so she's having a ball, and that's why she's not with me right now. But uh, we're going to do this card show after we have dinner tonight. It just feels like I'm going to have to go on a diet pretty soon because we're eating every darn place <laughs> every time we turn around for crying out loud. You graduated from Arkansas State. You go to the NFL. Could you have ever imagined that your NFL career would have gone the way it did. 12 years in the NFL, two-time All-Pro, five Pro Bowls. Yeah. You, you make a trip to the Super Bowl in your final year with the Eagles. Well, you're doing your homework. You got yeah, it pretty, I, yeah, pretty good. You're kind of a fun guy to research. Well, when I went to my very first training camp, I played in the Chicago All-Star game against the uh, world champion New York Jets. We got beat by two points. It was the Chicago All-Stars against the New York Jets. And uh, I, I can remember going to the Cincinnati Bengal training camp, and uh, there was two middle linebackers in front of me. And I'm looking at them and studying them, and I'm saying, 
you know something? If you can't beat out at least one of them because they were going to keep two, if you can't beat out at least one of them, you don't deserve to be in the NFL. So anyhow, I didn't start the first game. It was a game against Kansas City and somewhere in Mississippi, an exhibition game. I didn't start that game, but I started every game since then. And uh, so I leaped over both of them and uh, everything else is history after that. So what did you think about Invincible? It's you know, the Vince Papali yeah. movie, because if you watch that movie, I mean, your name pops up in it several times. And it's because even like you tell as this is happening to Vince Papali, he's like, holy cow, you're telling me I'm going to play with Bill Berge. Yeah. I mean, it kind of gave you. So if you didn't know anything about it, if you watched that movie, you'd come out thinking, man, Bill Berge is a big deal. It's really funny. I have a, a, a cute little story about that. There's so many people that say the same thing. Uh, Bill Berge, did you play with uh, Vince Papali? And I would go, absolutely not. Vince Papali played with me. He was uh, he was in the league three years. He, he was just a special team player. But to this day, he and I have the same birthday. We're real good friends. And uh, I think he and his wife, Janet, are, are wonderful people. But uh, this was a guy that I was just begging would make the team because he had the biggest heart. Didn't have all of the talent in the world, but uh, he was a great teammate. And it ended up that I was the captain of the defense. Harold Carmichael was the captain of the offense, and Vince Papali was the special teams captain. And uh, we ended up taking coaches out. We had a good time and had a lot of fun. But Vince Papali, uh, that movie was probably, it was a Disney movie, Mm -hmm. so they enhanced it a little bit. But I would say 80% was on the money. Playing for Dick Vermeil, what was that like? You know, Dick Vermeil, besides him being my head coach and my boss at one time, I can honestly say, guys, that he is probably my best friend. Uh, He has come to my house so many times. I've gone to his house so many times. He's got a big, beautiful prefab uh, log cabin uh, out on 100 acres, and it's just gorgeous. We go to dinner a lot. We probably do something once a month at least, but the thing of it is there was one day, and I'll never forget this, we were practicing at Widener College, and I just was in the worst mood you can possibly imagine. And Dick Vermeil would tape everything, film everything. So we were practicing seven-on-seven in front of this dorm, and the cameraman kind of showed up a little bit late. And he was always on the roof, and my back was to him, so I looked around and I didn't see him so I was just going through the motion I was letting this stupid idiot uh, block me and I, I just had an attitude after lunch Dick Vermeil called me into his uh his office Dick Vermeil said you know that seven and seven drill and I said yeah he said well I just got through looking at the film and my eyes rolled and he says Bill Berge there was a a, a rookie that blocked your ass all over the place. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have to cut that guy next week. Now, what am I going to say when he says, but I blocked this all pro all over the place, and why, why are you cutting me? And I just shook my head, and I felt so bad, and he said to me, and I'll never, ever forget this, he says, I want you to do me a favor, Bill. I want you to take a good look at this film tonight in your film session 
And after you look at it, I want you to burn the damn thing. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that was like a knife going through my heart. And I never, ever, ever let Dick Vermeil down after that. Wow. You mentioned that's a seven-on-seven seven drill. So I want to go back to actually something I just heard when we were on our way here. The first football you played, right, is six-on-six. Six. That's right. So to, kind of, for folks who don't know, how did that play in all that space? How did that help you be a linebacker down the line? Well, you had two wide receivers, two receivers. I don't know if they're a tight end or a wide receiver. You had the quarterback, you had the center, and you had two running backs. And uh, it was just wide-open football. It was really a lot of fun. And if you were a good athlete, you were going to win a lot of football games. But uh, I played it one year, but I did enjoy it. My uh, senior year in high school, I think we had 32 people in my class. And uh, I think from the 7th through the 12th grade, I think we had about 300. So we didn't even have enough for an 11-man football team. But I enjoyed six-man football. You know, you look back on the history of Arkansas State football players going to the NFL and your career ranks right there at the top of the list over the last several years. We've seen another former A-State linebacker, Demario Davis, become one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Is that something that you paid attention to, his career? Well, I really haven't. I I, I, I could bluff my way through it, but I, I can't. But I, I can tell you that uh, at one time, and this is a feather in my cap, and I'm bragging about this, that I was the highest paid defensive player in the entire NFL coming out of little old Arkansas State. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. I, I really am. And I'll tell you how much it was. It was $1.2 million for four years, guaranteed, no cut, no trade. You've got it. It's money in the bank. And uh, it made every front page of every sports page in the entire country and people were almost condemning me how can anybody command that much money now a guy like russell wilson he makes 36 million dollars and he's not even a good player anymore (laughs) and uh, that's over two million dollars a game well i was making 1.2 million for four years three hundred thousand a year yeah and uh anyhow good money and i i liked it back then but boy if i played today and if i was the highest paid defensive <laughs> player i'd be living up on the mountain my own mountain all right so i gotta ask this because you know you were involved with the eagles broadcast you told that you're 23 23 years. years right so you're around the game still a long time so as a guy who was a linebacker do you like the game right now i don't and uh, that's a great question, and, and the reason why. We used to practice form tackling 15 minutes before every practice, whether it was preseason, training camp, or regular season. And, you know, it'd go one way, the other way. And, I mean, it just got to the point where it'd drive you crazy after a while. But uh, when we got out there on the field, we instinctively knew how to hit a guy, how to tackle a guy, how to roll and all that. If you really watch a game today, and I'll watch it because I still love football, but I'm telling you, I'll shake my head. I'll see these uh, guys come in, throw their shoulder in it, and I'll see the running back or even the quarterback hurdling over them, and it just drives me crazy. And they're really protecting the players now. Uh, Back when I played, and I don't want to make it sound like uh, bring back the old days or anything (laughs) like that, but uh, I can remember – 
you could maul a quarterback. You could do anything you want. Now, you can't hit them high. You can't hit them low. You can't land your weight on them. You've got only that little bit of area in, in that person's gut that you can hit them. And that right there bothers me an awful lot, too. I sort of thought, honestly, that was going to be the case. Yeah. And you're you're hearing that from a lot of former players now. They, they don't like kind of the state of the game at mm-hmm. this point. Now, I kind of want to wrap things up with this. And okay. You talk about your time at Arkansas State. You say you love Arkansas State. It wasn't easy at first, but certainly right. you grew in to your role at Arkansas State. When you look back on just the big picture and what this place meant to you, can you put that in? Well, it, it has meant everything to me. Now, if I sound like I'm whining like a little baby, I, I, I probably am. But uh, I, I can tell you that Arkansas State took a chance on me. They laid it out for me. They gave me the most unbelievable opportunity, and I took it the best I could. And uh, like I said, Arkansas State had me so prepared to go into pro football. Like I said before, pro football was absolutely a piece of cake. So I owe an awful lot to this school. And for me to come back, I'm just thrilled because... You know, I, I just love to rehash the things. I, I, you know, I was proud to see my name up on that uh, wall of fame that they had uh, at the stadium. I've never seen that before. I thought that was uh, pretty cool. But uh, I, I like it, and I know that the people at Arkansas State are real good people, and uh, I wish I could do it all over again. I really do. You mentioned the contract you talked about. That was something that... You know, it was a feather in your head just from a validity standpoint. They've played football here now for 108 seasons. And, I mean, you're going to be the most common answer for the best player in the history of the program. What's that mean? Well, that means an awful lot. That must mean that I've done something right along the way. But uh, I wouldn't take it back for anything. It was really a rewarding time that I had here at Arkansas State and I just love my years here but my my greatest trophy was uh the girl I married from Goobertown and uh <laughs> that was really uh, a joy Bill Berge such a pleasure to have you with us well, thank you guys I really enjoyed with uh rapping with you and rehashing uh old memories and all of that and uh it's all good stuff More to come here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here. Refinished the floors here twice. Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here. Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of and now it's giving again. In the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Taking a look at what all is happening in the world of A-State athletics. There's a whole bunch going on right now. And we'll start with the latest Sunbelt Conference championship win. Yeah. The men's cross-country team was in Foley, Alabama this last Friday, and they won their second straight Sunbelt Conference championship. In fact, they had seven finishers in the top 15 of that meet. 
more people than you can count, right? More people with good scores than they could count in the score column. So Coach Duvall continues that, you know, sort of men's cross country was like the last thing out there that we had not sort of found our groove in. And now they found it. They They certainly back to back conference titles. Women were right there again, finishing second. I think Southern Miss, I think people sort of knew that from a, that Southern Miss was going to come in uh, with a really good distance program this particular year. And I think they won the conference title in their first go round. But I mean, even finishing second, I mean, it doesn't change the fact that the road to any Sunbelt conference title in track goes through Jonesboro. Meanwhile, the soccer team. Can, we, can I tell the people what the scenarios were going into this Absolutely. soccer Absolutely. So I'll set it up. The soccer team was closing out the regular season at home this past Thursday against South Alabama. And I remember you sending a text out to a group of us before the game just talking about the different scenarios yeah. that uh, could happen from this game. Because I, I know we talked about it on the podcast last week. Hey, big match coming and conference title implications and winning the west and all this and that and turns out that wasn't all entirely accurate there was a scenario that came less than five minutes away from happening by the way where arkansas state university would have been the outright sunbelt champion the second place team in the west and the three seed in the sunbelt tournament that came five minutes from happening on thursday i still have a really hard time figuring out how that's even possible so goes into the last day of the season a state host in south alabama uh you know would look like top two it would do it was the top two teams in the west you get three points for a win in the sun belt and you get one point for a tie and if arkansas state won that match they're going to end up with more points than south alabama as a matter of fact if arkansas state won its match and georgia southern didn't against georgia state either a tie or a loss Arkansas State is going to have more points than anybody in the league. That's going to make us the outright league champ. Third consecutive Sunbelt title. A-State win, anything but a Georgia Southern win. Red Wolves win one nothing in really a fun soccer match. I watched that thing from wire to wire, and it was fun. It was intense. It was chippy. South Alabama flopped around some. It was their only conference yeah. loss. They had tied three games, but the only time they'd lost one. Two, you know, two of the last three years, this has been the finals in the Sunbelt Tournament. Yeah. So it was fun. one nothing, one nil. if you will. A-State gets the win. So now the scene shifts to Atlanta. Come on, Georgia State. Get a tie or a win. And it's scoreless inside the last five minutes, and Georgia Southern gets a goal. Oh, wow. Now. Had Georgia Southern not gotten that goal, Arkansas State would have the most points in the league, would have been the outright Sunbelt champion. But for some reason, the coach, and the coaches agreed upon it. In the divisions, they decided to only take the points accumulated in matches against division opponents. Arkansas State was behind South Alabama. In fact, not even that win over South Alabama would catch us up. So we took the field Thursday with a path to the Sunbelt title and no shot at winning the West. <laughs> And the division champions are going to be the top two seeds in the tournament. So thus, we could have been the Sunbelt champ, second place in the West, third seed in the tournament. Well, as it stands, there's still the three seed in the Sunbelt Conference tournament happening this week in Foley, Alabama. And they'll begin play Wednesday at noon against the number six seed, Old Dominion. That'll be in the quarterfinals. And you're staring at a possible uh, matchup with South Al in the semis. 
Well, that's what it's come down to the last couple of years in the championship match. But hoping for a rematch coming up Friday, semifinals Friday, championship Sunday. Well, it's all the same. Listen, I'll be honest with you. You say hoping for a rematch. I'm, that's all well and good, but I actually hope Southall gets beat before then. <laughs> if it's just all the same. <laughs> That'd be okay, too. Volleyball team dropped their two matches at Texas State Friday and Saturday. They fell in three sets Friday, but you know Texas State's in first place in the Sun Belt West. They're ten and two in conference play, and the Red Wolves took the Bobcats to five sets in that match on Saturday. I mean, bless, so may, maybe a positive sign for them. Bless their hearts. I'm telling you, they they seldom get beat bad i mean within a set uh, just uh, i've never seen anything like it to just that key point here or two does not seem to right now ever go their way and look what's going to happen is coach gerwig's going to keep building it his way going to keep getting his recruits in here and they're going to go through a year where every one of those key points goes their way and they're going to have some you know a magical run because they're stocking up plenty of goodwill right now because those key points are never going their way at the moment Maybe they'll get some to go their way Friday and Saturday. It's the final two home matches of the season. ULM will be in here Friday at 6 and then Saturday at 1. Elsewhere in A-State Athletics, the tennis team picked up four victories over the weekend in the ITA Regionals that was played in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Meanwhile, the men's golf team was where the women's golf team was the week before, finishing up the fall portion of the schedule at the White Sands Bahamas Invitational. And a good finish for the A-State men. They finished tied for third out of 12 teams in that event. And a good field because I think you look at, you know, they finished ahead of eight teams, and I think maybe every team they beat was inside the top 150. Three or four of those at least were in the top 100. So it was a good performance against a pretty good little field out there in the Bahamas, and there was a lot of birdies made by everybody. Even in the first round, I mean, I think Arkansas State had all five of their players under par, and I saw Duke won that tournament at 41 under as a team. Tough to beat. <laughs> the men's basketball team, excited to see them this week because they're going to play an exhibition game Wednesday at 7. This is the lone exhibition for the men. They'll host Voorhees College. That's in South Carolina, by the way. That'll be, uh, again, 7 o'clock Wednesday. I hope their mascot's the Turtles, just because, you know. Voorhees? Lark, Lark Voorhees was Lisa Turtle. I was wondering where you were going with that. Say by the if you know, you know. reference. Yes. Um, so the exhibition Wednesday, then the regular season opener coming up Monday at 7 when Harding comes to town. So our first couple of looks at Mike Bellato's crew coming up over the course of the next week. Yeah, the women, they open up. It's still almost a couple of weeks before they get home. They had a, allegedly, reportedly, possibly, they had a couple of those super secret scrimmages along the way. The A-State women did. And I think people who uh, saw those liked what they saw. Well, same thing with the men. I think yep. they allegedly had one Saturday as well. <laughs> and now, some good things to take out of that one. Uh, let me tell you, in, in case you were what are these fools talking about? If you don't know, you go back not very far, right? And everybody played two exhibition games a year. It was just sort of standard operating procedure. And anymore, the NCAA gave you an option to either play those exhibitions or you could play none at all, or one or two. You can have a closed 
scrimmage against another Division One team. You can't advertise it. People can't watch it. But you can bring in another Division One team and actually scrimmage them. Basically, have, like NFL teams do where they practice together. You kind of can do that now, which is a great decision. The men played one exhibition game because they had one of those closed scrimmages. The women played no exhibition games because they had two closed scrimmages. You know, that's something that baseball has been able to do in the fall over the last few years. In fact, the A-State baseball team has had, you know, these fall exhibitions with Southern Illinois and Missouri, and they'll play their interest squad fall World Series coming up this weekend, they'll play Thursday and Friday afternoon, and then we'll wrap it up on Saturday at Tomlinson Stadium, and folks can go out and watch that. I think football should be able to do it, too. Whenever the coaches want to, where that was a fall a camp spring or a spring game. game. Yeah. But if you want to just – and again, no advertising. People can't – don't make it where people can come, but bring another team in and give yourself a look against somebody different because it would be beneficial for both teams. I would love to see that happen. Before we get to – your final thoughts here. I got to see something pretty cool. Sunday we go in like we always do and we go up to the TV station and we're about to sit down and, and record the show and Coach Jones and Jerry Scott and I are standing there and Coach Jones has a FaceTime call and he calls a recruit that was in town over the weekend. And, you know, it was neat just to be able to kind of watch this play out. Got to see over FaceTime this now commit make his verbal commitment to Coach Jones. And that certainly cheered things up in the room before we sat down <laughs> to record the TV show. But so think about that, right? I mean, what, what I think most people consider an absolutely miserable weekend. From oh yeah. A weather standpoint, performance standpoint, outcome standpoint, everything about it bad. And they still land a recruit. One thing we have seen from this staff is that they can recruit and they build fantastic relationships with these recruits. And this recruit was still in town and was having breakfast with his family when this FaceTime call was made. And you know, Coach Jones, you, you you see how much he cares. And as soon as, I mean, as they're wrapping up the call, Coach says, hey, do me a favor, text me when you get back so I, I know you made it back okay. And that's a little thing, but it, it, makes, it makes a difference in the long run. Well, I'll tell you, there was a group of local industry leaders that had arranged to take a facilities tour that I was going to give on Thursday. So look, and I was, I mean, I'm very mindful of kind of being out of the way. We're going to go, we're going to take them, we're going to show them the tower, the Centennial, you know, the, the Johnny Allison Centennial Tower, all that jazz. We'll look at it. We'll go over, we'll check the indoor, and we're going to hit the high spots. I guess they football, the, you know, like football ops folks knew this was on the schedule. And I'm the, my big thing is I'm going to stay out of the way. We're At that time of day, matter of fact, let's set a time of day where we can most likely be out of the way. We'll show them the team room. We'll hit the high spots and be out of the way. Instead, like, and, and that was it. It could have been that much, and everybody would have been happy. But instead, you know, Blake Jackson, the director of Ops for Football, met us at the lobby. He gave the tour through the football facility. And Coach Jones, knowing it was going on, wanted them to stop by and see him. So they went into the conference room where he was sitting alone. He met, he talked with this group. He talked a, little, a lot about what he did on the coach's show last week, kind of what the week looks like. Yeah. He showed, he showed them the recruiting board. I mean, he talked what he was, what he was, how they watched film, took him into his office. I mean, he spent a good 10 plus minutes with him because he wanted to. I mean, nobody asked him to. 
it was really really neat unexpected unnecessary but uh he did that you know it's what he wanted to do and i thought it was pretty neat all right so there were some positives to come out of this past week anything you need to get off your chest though we, we like this to be a, a therapeutic place for you <laughs> no it has i mean it, it has been i mean i just and i know uh, i say this a lot if, if you're still if you're listening to this and you've stuck with this point i feel like you're pretty invested and you're probably not cutting bait anyway so it's largely preaching to the choir but i just sitting through the losses will make the win, the wins mean more don't let we, we've called them before right don't let all these terry benedicts run you off it kind of you know last money in first money out a lot of people didn't maybe show up till 2011 or 2012 maybe they're sitting at the house waiting for it to get good again but when you go through the tough times with them then it makes number one the more people that go through the tough times with them will mean the the more people there are the shorter the tough times last i agree and then and then it, it makes winning even more fun when you don't just wait for it to happen before you show up I think we're all ready to have fun again. And um, hopefully that's coming sooner than later. Yeah. In this day and age where, especially the person in my job, right? I mean, it, there's there's more to fight against than you've ever had, and including the fact that you can sit at the house and see every game. And that's a real thing, and it's a real issue. So more than ever, we're just going to you know, try to, to get this thing is, I understand you can sit at home and watch the game. So don't come to Centennial Bank Stadium to watch the game. Come to change it. You can actually play a small role in helping decide who wins and loses. We've seen it happen many times. Absolutely. That whole home field or home court advantage has proven itself a few times over the years. Even even Saturday, for as sparse as it was, remember they got down there on the goal line a couple times, went false start two times in a row. You know, it, it just... It can happen. and, and, and Backed so, him up a yard and a half. That's right. Those two false starts. We were having, a, and I know this thing's going, I know you keep looking over to see how long this thing's getting, but we were having a conversation in our booth. They go back-to-back penalties, and you're right. They started at the two, so it cost them a whole yard and a half. When you go false start, false start, and then you gain seven yards the next play, it seems a little unfair that you've got second and four after you just jumped off false start two times in a row. All right. Well, here's my deep thought on this. And I, I didn't know where you were going with that. Say they false started again. At that point, <laughs> you're, what, about three quarters of a foot from the goal line. Well, in theory, so let's when, run when, the numbers here. All right. So, so it been two yards, one yard. Then a foot and a, a half. Half a yard. So, yeah, 18 inches. So you're down to... Nine Do it inches. again, you've been nine inches. So when you place that nine inches away, part of the ball at, at some point, the nose of it is going to be back across the plane. Correct? You would think. If it was spotted so right. If it's spotted right, if that nose is coming across the plane, is it a safety at that point? Oh. How, how many more false starts <laughs> until it becomes a safety? I don't know. My guess is, if you were just forcing me to guess, I would bet the rules would let you false start to infinity. I don't know if there's a rule that would let you false start your way into a safety. <laughs> but we got pretty close but, to find it but out. But I thought that's kind of the way my brain works sometimes. I'm thinking, well, the nose of the ball is going to be back across that yeah. plane. Because there are penalties, that, right? There are penalties that if they happen in the end zone, right? If a, if a holding happens in the end zone, you know, there's a price to pay. And this, and 
I don't know if False Start ever has that <laughs> that price tag, and it probably should. We, I mean, we nearly saw it come into play. It's been a really fun episode. Really enjoyed that visit with Bill Berge. Fantastic player in the history of of Arkansas State football, and, and you could tell he was really glad to be back in Jonesboro this past weekend as well. Couldn't believe how much traffic there was. It, it just blew his mind how much traffic there was in Jonesboro. We look forward to visiting with you next week, and, and hopefully we've got another Sunbelt Conference Championship to talk about as well. Good luck to the soccer team. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.